You're listening to The Community Pulse, a podcast about developer relations, community management, and all things tech advocacy. Let's see what our hosts are chatting about this episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of The Community Pulse. Uh, I'm here with Wesley. Uh, We are joined by some guests. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about internal DevRel versus external DevRel. While DevRel kind of holds some universal truths, there is at times a difference between how we handle our external communities as opposed to our internal communities. Uh, While we're still bringing people together, some of the approaches and interested parties may change. How do we foster communities and communicate feedback within an organization? And is it really so different from what we consider traditional DevRel? So to kind of look at these questions and more, we've brought a bunch of guests together and I'm gonna have them introduce themselves, starting with Kevin McIntosh. Kevin, tell us a little bit about you. Hi, PJ. So yeah, my name is Kevin McIntosh. Um, uh, I uh, previously was a developer advocate uh, focusing on cloud migration strategies. um, And as PJ, you mentioned, an internal developer advocate. Um, In that role, I was only there for about a year, but it was really focusing on bringing community together and then bringing in the practices from external DevRel, which many, I'm sure, of your listeners are aware of. Um, uh, Before that, though, I'm an incredibly technical person. I was a software engineer, and I have since returned back to software engineering, but uh, that software engineering background has helped me inform the practices of being a developer advocate, bringing community together, and focusing on very extensive technical aspects that would help make my developers and the company succeed. Awesome. Um, Aja? Hey, so I'm Aja. Um, I've been doing DevRel advocacy in particular for, by the time this airs, exactly six years or almost exactly six years. About half of that now has been spent managing DevRelers, which is its own special adventure. We'll go with adventure right now. Um, but before that, much like others on the, much like others on the show today, I've kind of had every job there is to have in tech, or at least a lot of them. I've been a dev, I've been a tester, I've been a PGM, I carried a pager. And I've worked at big companies, little companies, small companies. One of the things I really like about that, I think helps me in my role as DevRel, both internally and externally, is that I kind of know how everything, I have a good gut feel for how things are going to feel together and fit together and (laughs) where the themes and problems are going to be and where where people are going to struggle. Because I've probably been in the shoes of, of a lot of folks that I talk to. And so that's been really great. And it's... I love the fact that in DevRel, I get to use all of those skills. I get to put my SRE hat on some days. I get to be a dev some days. It's fun. That's awesome. And uh, the only person who's actually returning to the show, Davey Shafik. Davey? Uh, Yeah, uh, it's been that long ago. I had forgotten that I had been on this before, but now (laughs) I I remember. Um, So uh, my name is Davey. Uh, I have been in DevRel for about eight and a half, probably by the time this airs, nine years. and I had three sort of very distinct DevRel roles. Uh, the first one was at a smallish startup um, w- that had been around for a while. Uh, and that was sort of very uh, community specific uh, DevRel. Uh, the second one was at a much larger um, uh, company, uh, Akamai. Um, and that role was uh, very interesting, much more B2B uh, instead of you know working with directly with customers. Uh, and now I am in internal DevRel, uh, and I've been doing that for just over a year. Awesome. And of course, Wesley's here as well. Wesley, you should probably say hi at some point in time. 
I, at some point in time. Perfect. It's the commuting time. That's what I appreciate about this podcast. Um, so I think, I think we should start with, um, I knew anyone who's ever seen me do a talk knows that I love to start with definitions, base level definitions. So everybody's using a common parlance, if you will. Um, what's the difference really between internal DevRel and external DevRel? And how do you explain that to someone? I actually have my own definition that I usually explain. Um, uh, and, but it's, uh, because I started this out on my own, um, I'm very curious about how this reflects maybe with Aja or uh, with PJ or with um, Davey. But uh, the way that I describe it is where external DevRel, I find people are mostly aligned either with marketing or with product or something along those lines. Uh, internal DevRel is mostly aligned with the developers. And since you're internal, you don't need to worry about building a Twitter following. You don't have to worry about uh, creating a Rolodex of people that you meet at conferences, you actually just focus on the internal aspects of the company and how to make these people succeed. You know everybody already there. So you can actually focus on, instead of trying to create the social following and uh, maybe even help out with marketing dollars, it's meeting the needs of internal tools, uh, in the case for me, or meeting uh, internal goals of DevOps or something along those lines. Um, I'd say that that's kind of my general definition. I also always say that uh, I'm kind of a therapist where I sit down with developers and I say, well, like, what's stopping you from onboarding to cloud? And they say, well, it was really difficult with this one thing. And it's like, tell me a little bit more about it. Tell me about your difficulties. And we, we really just break down some of their frustrations. So that's kind of where I see internal DevRel. I'm curious what uh, Davey or Aja's um, uh, piece is. Let's go to you, Aja. What is your definition? Yeah, so this isn't something I have a ton of experience with in the sense of doing DevRel for internally facing products, although there is a little bit, especially that folks on my team have done. Um, but I do feel like building those communities internally is a job that every DevReler has. And part of it depends on team culture, but knowing the problems that folks are facing, knowing the challenges that they have, and just understanding how they think about the world, I expect that most DevRelers have to do that in order to do any kind of DevRel internal or external facing. Um, so yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to put my words around what internal DevRel is other than embracing the communities within your company and working with them effectively to make good things happen, I guess. <laughs> so Aja, I'm actually curious um, with the company that you're at, how big is the company? Because for me, my, the number of developers I had was only, I think maybe about a thousand, um, which is much smaller in terms of community. What was your community size like for your company? So right, right now I'm at Google. And so large, uh, <laughs> extra large, I'm not sure what you would, not sure what you would call it, but Google's big. So, yeah, um, it happens to be that I have even within Google, my team works uh, across quite a few products. So both internally and externally, our potential audience or potential community is really big. Um, so we have to make trade-offs and choices, but yeah, gargantuan. So I, I think for me, the, the key difference is what you're measured on. So uh, a big part of DevRel is being able to kind of tie, sorry, external DevRel is being able to tie your activities to uh, value, right? Whether that value is in awareness or in dollars, sales, whatever. 
um, like those are typically the kind of metrics that are wanted of you, whether they're feasible or not is a whole nother question. Um, in, when you're doing internal DevRel, those things don't matter. You're not gonna make a sale. You're never gonna make a sale because it's all internal stuff, right? Um, it's really about, uh, I think, more to do with education and buy-in um, and, and building communities around uh, internal projects that maybe don't get um, as much love as they should from uh, sort of traditional engineering teams that have it as part of their sort of portfolio of things they work on. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's that's kind of been the big difference for me. But like, even at my previous company, uh, mm. as you said, Aja, we were doing some sort of dev internal DevRel. Mm. We we had a huge swath of sort of sales engineers who needed to be caught up to what we were pushing as sort of best practices and mm -hmm. uh, you know how to use the products. And they went, you know, our customers are now asking us about this thing you mentioned and we didn't learn that yet because you know you put it out so we ended up actually spending a lot of time facing internally uh, and trying to solve that problem as well yeah i i have an interesting question based a little bit on what you said there davy is you know you said we did we didn't do sales but then you mentioned having to have buy-in so in a way instead of saying like you know it's monetary sales aren't in some ways what you're doing internally uh about selling it to the company selling the value um, like I know, cause we've talked offline and before this podcast, Dave and I have known each other a real long time. And we've talked about like, you know, the idea of getting people to buy into the concept of working on a specific open source tool within the organization. Um, so you're not selling necessarily to a customer, but you are selling inside the business, the importance of this tool that you're building and the value of, instead of spending money, spending time on it. Would you say that's like, you know, a parallel maybe for the two, for, for external versus internal? You're not I, selling I for cash, but you're right. But there is there is actually um, a lot of the times we have a, a dollar component kind of attached to things because these things don't live in a vacuum. They cost resources to run or make right. or maintain. Um, so there, there's definitely like a um, almost an anti-sale there. It's like we want to save money, so we need to sell you this thing um, and have you like. There's still a cost associated in terms of their uptake of that thing. So like, for example, right now we're rolling out a new framework for our front ends. Um, and we have a bunch of teams using a bunch of disparate stuff and we want to kind of homogenize all of those. Um, and so like getting the buy-in on that is not just like, yeah, that's cool. Like, it's not just a feeling. There's a whole boatload of work that's kind of associated with actually adopting that project, right? Um, and that's the cost. Uh, and we then have to justify that that, that makes sense. Just Can out I, of curiosity. Uh, as Good. Oh, I was go going to talk to you, Kevin, actually. Thanks for chiming <laughs> in. I was wondering if you have some of that same pressure of like trying to get buy-in from teams to migrate to a cheaper or the newest hip kind of infrastructure that might not necessarily be developer first, but it might be CTO first, meaning that it was Ooh. a strategic change wow. and that you have to yes. kind of like convince it, convince <laughs> under length. Uh, and I would love to hear you, Kevin and, and Aja, if you can go after. Yeah, it's um, so the, it's interesting because buy, there's there's two types of buy-in that I have. It's um, logistical buy-in, which usually comes along with what Davey said there as kind of the operational guidance or operational cost. But it's also, it's like, we need to get to a hybrid cloud solution within two years. I, how are we going to get there? Then there's the emotional buy-in, which is developers really like to do things. Uh, it's like their way. 
yeah, almost as I would say, they're, especially for engineers that are more senior, they're a little bit more ingrained to their practices. So you have to spend some time when you're getting buy-in is to emotionally show them like this is, there's an easy way of doing this. Here are the tools here, but also taking their feedback and then trying to uh, find this kind of happy medium of like, look, you need to go in this direction. Your team needs to go in this direction. What's stopping you from like dropping what you're doing and going there? Is there operational pressures or do you just not really want to do it right now? And usually you can pick apart some things because a developer who wants to go do something will do it much faster, much organized, and usually produce a better product than one they begrudgingly have to do. So that's what I see in terms of buy-in. I don't disagree with any of that, but I tend to I tend to approach it a little differently. And I actually don't think it's significantly different internal versus external, except I understand the pressures on internal folks a little better than the pressures on external folks. Um, I, yes, buy-in is part of it, but I always try to figure out, okay, so why are we making this change? Why do we want to change to this process for, I don't know, building libraries for our users? Or why do we want folks to switch to this build process internally or externally? And if I can't, if I can't clearly articulate ideally in two or three sentences, why this is better for you as a developer, as a CTO, maybe this isn't the right time to make that change. And that's one of the things that uh, I find harder about internal is that externally, I am the developer advocate. And so that comes with a little bit of credibility. Internally, I'm just, you know, the person person five desks over when we actually had desks and offices. Uh, and I tend to get more pushback uh, internally when I want to make changes. Uh, people are very happy to say, I, I'm hearing all of your points and I've decided that you're wrong. And that's, it's one of the challenges of doing internal dev world, getting people to agree to the strategy that you believe is the right one uh, and making things better for the developers internally and then eventually for the folks that are going to be buying the products those developers create. It's harder, it's so much harder. Yeah, I was, I was actually gonna ask, cause one of, the, one of the things that we talked about when we are developing this episode is, is kind of how difficult is it to, or what tactics do you use to, to kind of motivate a large group within an organization? Uh, because it's a little bit different than like externally, you generally, unless you are the initiator of that community, which nine times out of 10, we're not gonna be. Um, but unless you're the initiator of that community, there's generally something already there and you're just motivating off of that platform. Um, internally, sometimes you don't have a platform. So you just have to say like, you know, hey, listen, we all love Kubernetes. Um, let's start looking. So you have to find a way to motivate with no basis. There's no common ground. How do you like, what tactics do you need to kind of activate a large group of engineers inside of an organization to working towards a common goal or a corporate goal? So, um, sort of piggybacking off what, uh, I just said, and, and then leading into your question. Um, you know, I, I think that when you're internal, one of the reasons it's more difficult is you're actually part of the conversation that you aren't typically part of when you meet somebody at a conference or at an event and sort of evangelize to them, right? You're not actually going to hear the no's or the pushback because like those people go away and they have those conversations and you either see them again or you don't. Um, and so, you know, there's kind of a po political situation that you're involved in. Um, and, and that normally you just don't see when you're doing external evangelism. Um, but as far as like motivating people, 
the tactic that we use is really just to make the thing that you're advocating for more valuable. Like whether that is saving time, increasing productivity, um, reducing costs if it's sort of gigantic enough to like be company wide impacting. Um, like people can get behind that, particularly uh, if your company is still reaching profitability. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really just about like, is, is this thing genuinely better? And it doesn't have to be better in every single way. Um, we definitely have new projects that we're rolling out where it's like, there's, you're going to lose this, but these are the things you gain. And it's always like pointing out like what those benefits are uh, and, and why we actually think it's worthwhile taking that time and effort. So I would like actually to go, um, uh, Davey, very good uh, point there. I would like to reach back to Aja where Aja, you mentioned uh, that you could have something that's coming from up on top for a new build system and then the developers say, well, that sucks. Um, one of my favorite stories was when I was starting um, in this kind of new domain of Kubernetes, which I had no idea what the heck I was doing, let's just be honest. Um, uh, I really was just trying to understand the story and understand from the developer perspective, what would be the developer wins. And when I go talk to the CTO, I go talk to any of the senior leadership um, inside engineering and I ask them, and I just ask them, it's like, so do you know what it goes to, what it takes to go to the cloud? And they give me operational numbers, but I'm like, do you, but do you understand like the emotional burden, like all the other things that they have to go through to get to the cloud? Nobody could give me an accurate story, which that was the problem I had to solve, which was what is the story? What what is the benefit for the developer that would make their life easier? And it actually came down to the holidays. Holidays was a big time for Groupon in terms of Black Friday and all these other things. So making sure we had operational excellence uh, ready to go. Um, and being able to tell them it's the overhead on uh, Black Friday is going to be a lot less. I mean, that got people excited. So it's what are the wins for them in addition for just even budgetary operational ones uh, really did help. Um, I'm going to bring up an analogy, and I'm just wondering if this is going to be a toss-up for anyone who wants to grab this one. But I used to be an influencer back in the day, and so I got invited to a lot of corporate events. One of them was at Ford, and one of the analogies they used was that, or one of the problems that they tackled was that uh, individuals in the company would focus on their individual part. The brakes people were super, super concerned about how much stopping power that they could use. Uh, the engine team was concerned about how much power they could generate to the wheels. And then the wheel team was concerned about gripping and cornering and wearing and tearing. Uh, and there wasn't that much focus overall on the whole system as in the car itself and making sure everything worked in harmony. For instance, maybe you don't need such a big engine in a, a smaller car, or maybe you don't need so much stopping power uh, for for uh, for something that didn't have an, a huge engine, and so on and so forth. So things needed to work together and in harmony for the complete product to flourish. As internal DevRel. Do you ever have the issue of where you need to move adoption to a new platform, new technology, or graduate from uh, an old API set or anything like that where overall it makes sense? Uh, 
but for individual teams, it doesn't really, they don't see the benefit because of their very myopic scope of what they're working on. Uh, does, do any of you have, have had to deal with that problem or see that as being an issue internally? I've definitely dealt with it. Um, thinking back to previous experiences at other companies before I officially had a DevRel title, I've definitely dealt with it where it's nothing where there was something that we actually needed everyone to do, you know, adopt a new logging system perhaps, and all of us unify or unify on a specific build pipeline so that when I was consulting, it was easy to move folks between projects. And then things like that tend to be everyone's second priority and no one's first priority. And convincing folks that it's in their benefit to prioritize this thing is hard. And the way I've done it is just try to focus on getting them out of their bubble and reminding them that the success of the entire company very, very rarely, although it does sometimes, but very rarely uh, depends on the success of the one corner of the code base or the one porter, corner of the product suite that they own. We actually need everything to be successful for the stock price to go up if you're a publicly traded company. And sometimes that works. Uh, my technique is usually to find the one person that I know I can convince and then have them convince their coworkers. <laughs> Because frequently there's one person who can who is able to get out of that get out of that you know blinder focused space and move up a level, and then they're good at talking to everyone else because they have credibility built up with their team already. But it's, so it's hard. Kind of like kind of like an internal champions program. Yeah, exactly. But I never do anything formally, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like that. Do you do you think that actually a lot of this stuff that that we're talking about here, like, do you think a lot of it works better as an informal, like? uh advocation like you're, you're kind of doing it like you know like hey you know it'd be cool if you did and finding the right people that can move the needle um as opposed to saying like you know hey i am the manager and therefore i think we should do this my experiences think- depend on team culture entirely some companies are very rigid and role focused and organized um i tend to not do well at those companies so i tend to not work at those companies I tend to work at companies where everything everything comes down to interpersonal relationships because that's where I tend to do better. Same. I usually work at companies where people are empowered to make decisions and that yeah. everybody is empowered to be their own leader. Um, and then uh, there's obviously separation responsibilities, but um, uh, thankfully, thankfully, team culture has not been that big of an issue. It's just more of the Aja, as you were putting in the bubble um, that you got to get people out of. <laughs> Yeah, we definitely, uh, we struggle with the bubble. What, what we've been doing is, um, I guess it's formal for our team, but it's not formal within the company. And what I mean by that is, is that we have put in place a pretty uh, robust sort of process of how we want to approach, uh, you know, building out and deploying new products. And, you know, that starts with identifying, um, you know, people who, are suffering from the problem that this product is intended to solve, building those relationships sort of one-on-one uh, and then moving from there to like working with their team and a pilot, um, you know, solving the team's problems as a whole to where we feel, okay, this thing is actually now viable and moving through like a beta and then GA type phase. But we don't like, um, that's not like something that we're doing externally. So we don't like have MVPs or anything, but we think of them that way. Um, so it's like, this is our MVP for this particular project, or these are our MVPs for this particular project, but that's only sort of an internal moniker. I'm actually uh, curious to the general group 
um, uh, PJ Wesley, if I may, is um, the types of persuasion that you've used to, um, for Davy and Aja, uh, that you've used to convince people. Like, um, I go back to my college classes and I talk about logo, pathos, ethos quite uh, excessively. Um, uh, and usually I'm saying when I'm coaching people on presentations, really top, tapping into the logos and the pathos of your argument in order to convince people. Um, do you find that you have a specific strategy when it comes to convincing the, the, the audience about why they should care and what their course of action is? Also, is bribery legal internally? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got, I got, we use stickers as, uh, we use stickers as currency. So usually people deck out their laptops. <laughs> this, this is true. I mean, I think that's true of external or internal DevRel. Um, I, I would say, yeah, I think for me, it's always been about, you know, similar to what you're saying, like my job as a team lead and, and Davey, feel free to disagree with this since I was your team lead at one point in time. Um, my job is to empower you and not necessarily convince you, but to show you the evidence and hope that you make the right decision. But if I'm not showing you the evidence in a way that does convince you, then I'm not doing my job the right way. So it's kind of like, you know, not, not so much like massaging the ego or even like, you know, trying to make it seem like this was your idea or anything like that. I'm not trying to convince. I'm trying to just lay out all the evidence and hope that it's enough of an argument. And I mean, there's been times when I've worked with people and, and they come back and say, you know, I hear what you're saying, but this reason. And it's a completely valid reason and taking that into account and maybe going back to the CTO and saying like, hey, like this is great that, you know, you read that article in BuzzFeed and you think this is what we should do, but it might not actually be best for the company. And here's some reasons why. Um, I think that like everything has to be kind of transactional and conversational in that way um, in order to advocate for anything within a team uh, in an organization. But I think that's true of the outside community too. I don't know. That's, that's my take. That's my ramble. We, we frequently talk about carrots and sticks. Um, you know, if, if you're not familiar with the analogy, uh, you know, if you've got a donkey and you're trying to move it forward, you can either lead it with a carrot or you can beat it with a stick, right? Um, either way, you get it going in the direction that you want, but one is more pleasant, right? Um, and so we try to lead with carrots. Like that's our first approach. Like, as I said, like, how is this going to benefit you? Um, and if we get pushback that we feel is invalid, uh, you know, obviously there is valid pushback. This doesn't meet this need and it's a requirement. We go back and we address that. We either find a alternative solution that's adjacent to the what we're trying to push out or we change the solution, right? Um, but if it's sort of invalid, just like I don't have the time or I don't like this, um, then we start to bring out the sticks and the sticks are of varying degrees. Sometimes it's just like, well, the thing you're currently using is unmaintained and will eventually break. And when it does, we're not going to help you. It's unsupported now. Or, um, you know, we're going to switch off those instances that you're using. Uh, so they're just going to go away. Or it can be as, as much as I'm going to speak to your, you know, manager's manager's manager, and you're going to get a, a, an edict and you just have to follow it. Um, so like, different levels of, of, or different approaches, uh, but we always want to try the carrots first because it's always more pleasant to work that way. Yeah, I think, I think starting with the carrot is a good way to think about it, but I always try, and I'm sure we're actually on the same page here. I always try to figure out and lead with empathy. So sometimes that's me having empathy for the developer and trying to influence, like understanding their problems and making sure when I'm talking to them, I'm speaking to their problems. But sometimes as a DevReller, my job is to actually give them empathy for the people that support them or for our users. 
And maybe you need, a, need them to make a change because it's good for someone who's not them. And so how can you build that empathy in them? How can you make them understand why this particular change is better for someone else and build off the fact that in general, humans actually care about each other. Yeah. I've got some tricks that I've learned from some of my, my coworkers in this space, but it's hard because it takes time and it's not, it is not a fast process, but my experience is that very little endeavor is a fast process because it's about people and people are hard and squishy and difficult. Here, here. There's also I like that term squishy. squishy. <laughs> <laughs> There's also different cultures internally. Um, and this might be more applicable to the size of scope of the company you work for, Aja. But have you ever had to deal, deal with like extremely different cultures? Um, for instance, um, I used to work for AMD. And when they acquired ATI, that was kind of like a clash of culture in terms of how things were done. And so there had to be a migration to some common sets of infrastructure and tools. Have you ever had to deal with anything like that? I have. One of my first projects uh, when I started my current job was working with a company that was a recent acquisition and figuring out how they thought about things, how they approached roadmap, and even to some degree what they considered success. And everything that that implied it was a challenge it was a fun challenge so i got to switch my brain around depending on which particular teams i was working with i've got another team that we're working with right now that is largely separate from the teams i normally work with and the culture is not that different but uh things like metrics of success or priorities and sometimes even what they what what they consider urgent or not are are, are just different and I spent, I spent a lot of time watching and listening before I speak in general, because I want to make sure that I understand where everyone's coming from before I start telling them what I think they should be doing. So Aja, it's interesting you bring that up because I found myself empathizing a lot with some of the product managers that worked on the external part of the product, because inherently at the end of the day, you as a developer advocate can only be able to execute via influence and notoriety plus, uh, I don't know, just a little bit of enthusiasm. Um, uh, because at the end of the day, I mean, they don't, they, they choose their priorities, they choose what they work on. And I mean, yeah, you can do the characteristic analogy, but the way that I've always just assumed it, and yes, I could obviously move to the stick and pull some organizational sway, but being able to find that if only I could execute through influence, it changed my entire way that I decided to execute. Um, and then being able to see when teams have different priorities, it allowed me to empathize with those. And as you put it so eloquently, think about things in an entirely different way, possibly change the way that you think entirely. So um, I appreciate that. I will say that the, at Lyft, which is you know a fraction of the size of uh, Aja's company, um, you know, we have very different uh, cliques of people. Um, you know, our data team is predominantly like Java based and they have, you know, their sort of way of working. And then, you know, we have very distinct groups in our uh, server side uh, stuff between Go and, and Python. Um, and I, I do genuinely think that like the technologies and the best practices in those communities and the way they work influences um, kind of the solutions that we want to uh, build for them and, and, and how, um, 
we have to change the way that we approach them. Um, you know, for something like Go, which is sort of very rigid, uh, there is only so much that we can do in terms of influencing their workflow. Um, but for Python, there's a million different ways to do everything um, and a PIP package for all of it. Uh, so, you know, it, it changes the way we approach things definitely. Um, I will also say that like, we don't support each community equally. Uh, our, our Java folks are kind of on their own because that's, you know, not the standard uh, and the norm. Uh, that... Interesting. So I, I feel like we hit on a lot here, but I also feel like we barely scratched the surface, but we are running kind of low on time. Um, so it's time to move to, uh, I know some fan favorite part, part of the show. Some people think it's the best. Some people don't think it's the best, but we're going to do checkouts. And before we do that, thank you, Davey, Aja, and Kevin for, for being here. And we're going to have you do your checkouts. But I want to say thank you because I think this is a conversation that needs to be had. I think a lot of times people perceive DevRel as this one giant umbrella where everyone's doing the same thing. And I think we need to diversify our thoughts on how exactly this works, depending on the communities we're, we're kind of engaging with. So thank you. And we might have all three of you back to kind of continue this conversation later this year. Um, but for now, let's get to our checkouts. And we're going to actually start with Wesley. Um, what you got for us this week? So this is, um, I don't know how long this site will be up. Um, this is um, for 2020, it being a dumpster fire. I don't know if you call this uh, technology mixed with art installation, but my pick is email dumpster fire. You send an email, it gets printed out, gets put in front of a webcam and streamed live. You see it go up a conveyor belt and then be dumped in a dumpster, like a literal dumpster, and then it gets set on fire. It's supposed to be cathartic. I am so happy right now. It's supposed to be, <laughs> it's, it's supposed to help you release tensions, hopefully. Um, so it's, hey.science slash dumpster fire dash dumpster dash fire. Um, uh, it, and what you do, you, the emails there uh, on that website, you just send your email, it'll get printed out and you get to see it burn live in front of, on the internet. So that's my pick. Yeah, I, I want to just keep talking about this a little bit more. I, I really have some emails I want to send uh, to this thing. This is great. Davey, you can't burn every email I've ever sent you. That's ridiculous. Uh, um. <laughs> So yeah, I'll do, I'll do my, uh, my checkout. Uh, so mine is uh, probably the, the most sort of typical like computer nerdy one of all of these, but uh, PHP 8 was just released. Um, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, they've added a new JIT and some more type stuff and named arguments. We have annotations. Um, I'm really excited about it. Like I'm always excited about new uh, major versions of any language, but PHP is uh, you know, my, my bread and butter. So uh, if you haven't checked out PHP since the 5.0 days, uh, you really should. More types. More types. <laughs> uh, Kevin? Yeah. Um, so since I've like uh, moved on from developer advocacy, one thing that I've definitely looked for is community. What ways can I like build community in times of COVID? How fun that's been, but also uh, watching how other companies handle communities. Uh, so, you know, that. Uh, this will be released at a certain point, but the Hearthstone platform, uh, Hearthstone is a spinoff game from Warcraft, World of Warcraft and stuff like that. And Hearthstone is usually at the forefront for a lot of different things because it is a freemium game and it's a pay to play. And they recently changed its monetization platform. 
and really just watching how the community has taken that because you have the free to play community, you have the pay community and just watching um, how you have like PR issues and a lot of PR issues that resulted from this but then um, uh, watching how other community members try to step up and say that it's not necessarily that bad, how things are necessarily even reconciled at that point, I just find absolutely fascinating to watch because as developer advocates, uh, sometimes you have to play in that PR space as well. But, um, uh, but I'm also thinking about my personal community, uh, the people that I network, obviously, PJ, Wesley, uh, uh, Davey, I mean, I hit you guys up um, uh, over on the Developer Advocate Slack channel, um, uh, but I've also learned about, I was watching a conference call, uh, called TransTech, uh, which it was a TransTech Summit, and it was hosted by Angelica Ross. Um, she is a famous actress, trans actress, and uh, one of the speakers talked about lunchclub.ai, which is this way of you being able to meet other professionals for lunch. Uh, via Zoom. And I think it's just absolutely fantastic way to try it. I am uh, haven't been able to try it uh, recently, but it's definitely something that is on my to-do list. That sounds very cool. Very cool. We all eat lunch. <laughs> awesome. So mine's super nerdy and uh, it's mostly top of mind because of the timing of this recording. Um, but it's the exposure notifications platform that Apple and Google have been working on together since March, April, May, something like that. I happen to be happen to know a couple of folks who've been deeply involved in it because my DevRel team has been has got a couple of folks who have been living and breathing this significant amount of their time since then. But it's on top of mind for me is because it went live. Uh, the COVID exposures platform went live for Washington State yesterday. And I have been all over Twitter answering questions as people are convinced that it uses GPS. And a blog post I wrote about it years ago, or not years, months ago. It's 2020. Months feel like years. Um, months ago, with some, you know, cartoon, cartoon phones and such, has been getting an uptick in views. So I've been thinking about it, and I just think that the idea that you can track which people you've been near in an anonymous way using Bluetooth. Um, it just feels brilliant every time I think through the tech. And I love it when people come up with really unique situation uh, solutions to problems that use tech in unexpected ways. It, it's like when those you see those videos of people using uh, cookie cutters or something and making them into something completely different. That's kind of how I feel about how Bluetooth was used in this project and just brings a smile to my face. The That's origin awesome. of that it's project is also amazing of how those teams came together. Um, so if if you haven't heard about how those teams met to figure out the solution, uh, look it up, Google it. It's amazing. Right yeah, on. and even the technology and the architecture is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the, the solution is just, it's one of those moments where you look at it and I'm like, wow, that's just so, it's so nice. Like, <laughs> it's so simple, but it, it makes sense. I, lo I love it. I love it. And it, and it is, you know, it, it's an amazing thing to come through in a time when like we really need things like this going on in the world. Um, I, had, I do have to say before I do my checkout, kind of surprised that Aja did not have a dinosaur related um, checkout. This is also, I think the first time since 2008 that I have not seen Aja all year. So I've not gotten a dinosaur or dinosaur sticker. Uh, so it's a very sad day for me. Um, yeah, I guess. I can add, there's a really cool Lego kit that's a bunch of dinosaur skeletons that I have sitting yeah, under my desk right now that I'm gonna put together. That's what I'm talking, that's 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 the Aja I was hoping for. <laughs> but uh, so my quick checkout is uh, Galactic Camera. 
It's from a couple of friends of mine who, you know, full disclosure, they were uh, part of the team for Obama for America back in 2012. And since then, they've been making cool and fun things to do on the internet. Harper Reed and Dylan Richard. Um, they built this thing called Galactic Camera, and it's a camera that sits between you and your Zoom. So you can do things like have the fun DVD logo that bounces and never exactly hits the corner or make it snow. So kind of like how people have been really enjoying Zoom backgrounds, but now you can actually put it in the foreground. So uh, it's at app.galactic.io slash camera, and we'll include the link in our show notes. Um, really cool. Take a look at that. Take a look at all of the checkouts. Aja, Davey, Kevin, again, thank you so much for being here. Wesley, a pleasure as always. Um, before we go, as is tradition, I will give a wonderful inspiration hip hop qu quote. So on our way out, in the words of Kendrick Lamar, live your life, live it right, be different, do different things. Thank you. And we will see you next time on the Community Pulse. This has been Community Pulse. Learn more at communitypulse.io and on Twitter at community underscore pulse. Your hosts are Mary Thangball, Mary underscore Grace on Twitter, Jason Hand, Jason Hand on Twitter, PJ Haggerty, Asplenic on Twitter, SJ Morris, Sarah Jane Morris on Twitter, and Wesley Faulkner, Wesley83 on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.